Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Today we're going to be talking about a really important topic, and that is how we can deal with and prevent the crisis uh, of substance use disorders in our kids. And here in Massachusetts, we have a project, Addiction-Free Futures, which we'll focus on today. And I'd like to introduce two guests. First is Courtney Cello, who's manager of the Massachusetts Children's Mental Health Campaign and in charge of the new project, uh, Addiction-Free Futures. And John Kelly, who's a psychologist. He's director at, of the Mass General uh, Recovery Research Institute and director of the Addictions Recovery Management Service here at MGH. So, Courtney, can you tell us a little bit about the Children's Mental Health Campaign and what Addiction-Free Futures is all about? Sure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so the Children's Mental Health Campaign is a statewide coalition that looks at access to developmentally appropriate services for children with behavioral health needs and their families. We have a new project focused on substance abuse prevention called Addiction-Free Futures. Uh, so we've teamed up with consumers, advocates, and experts across the state, both youth and adults, to really look at the problem of adolescent substance abuse and how we can get in at the front end to prevent substance misuse and abuse before it starts. Wow, that sounded like a... Like a rehearsed little introduction. <laughs> yeah, I bet you said that a lot of times. I have. So, so who's you? You said all. You named a lot of folks who are part of this. Who's who's part of this initiative specifically? So, the MSPCC, the Massachusetts Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, and the Parent Professional Advocacy League are the chairs of the group. We also have individuals from the Massachusetts Organization for Addiction and Recovery. Learn to Cope, which is a group for parents who have children struggling with addiction. Uh, the Massachusetts Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment Training and Technical Assistance Program provides some technical expertise. Uh, we also have Healthcare for All, the Hope Coalition out in Worcester, uh, the Massachusetts Chapter of Students Against Destructive Decision Making, and the Justice Resources Institute are all at the table. So that's a lot of groups. The major focus, as I understand it, is ESPERT, or screening, brief intervention, and referral for treatment, which I think we need to learn a, a bit more about because um, – and John is the expert on this. You know, ESPERT has been shown to be a really effective means of preventing and screening out kids, uh, 15 to 22, right? So how has it been used? Why, why, why is there this big push for ESPERT? And, and just, just to be clear – when Gene says "esper," he's actually saying the initials of this of this term. So right. it's S B I R T, which stands for screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment. Right. And why esper? Well, the you know screening itself is a very old medical concept, right? We we screen for all kinds of disorders in medicine. Um, it's been around for a long time, but not we're not so used to it when we think about addiction and substance use disorders. But now, in the last twenty years, screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment or ESPERT uh, really has really started to get gain momentum uh, as people realize that actually even just a brief screening can have an effect on behavior. Broaching the conversation of substance use in a clinical setting can have an effect on behavior. 
um, as people start to then consider their substance use in relation to their values and, and its impact they may be having on their, on their life and their health. And this has been done in adult settings for a long time. And now, thankfully, it's been started to be implemented in adolescent settings. Now, why is that? It's because we know that substance use disorders and substance-related problems, which is our number one public health problem, the onset is in adolescence. So just like if you were screening for cancer, you would screen just prior to the, to the onset so you could actually detect it early or, or, or when it's really starting to emerge. And the same is true with high volume or high volume high burden diseases and substance use disorder is no different. So that's why we've started to implement these um, practices in, in primary care settings and in school settings and in criminal justice. How effective is it? It is shown to be effective. We know less about young people because it, this is a relatively new area. It's ironic in that it is a relatively new area because with any other disease, we would have been focusing on the onset, right? Yeah, kids. Um, on kids, yeah. So with, with the onset of substance use disorders, we know that 90% of people, of adults who meet criteria for addiction, have started using prior to the age of 18 and uh, 50% before the age of 15. So uh, we know that early use is a strong predictor of addiction and related problems. Um, so that's why uh, we're, we're focusing on, on young people. And when you say it's effective, you mean it's effective at screen at capturing an audience that's likely to have problems with substances downstream. Yeah, okay. yeah, it, it, it's it, it's effective at, at at detecting. So we have fairly simple, brief, validated tools now that can be used with adolescents as well as adults and. Brief advice, screening in and of itself, and having the conversation just in answering questions has shown to have a therapeutic effect, beneficial. Just effect. the screening, just, just the screening just, by just, itself. Yep. Yep. In, in med school, they—I they, remember seeing this uh, study from the World Health Organization. If you ask somebody, "Have you thought of quitting smoking?" They are like seventy percent more likely to because you put smoking. the thought in their head. That just this ask, is, right, just broaching yeah, that. I, I can't the question. by seven percent, yep. but yep. it's a very high number. And it's shown to be very effective in, in adults. Uh, so these brief advice, screening, brief yeah. advice, even um, short-term treatment, uh, brief motivational interventions that kind of uh, elicit motivation, intrinsic motivation, using specific strategies. And clinicians, prim primary care physicians, have been trained to do this well and can do it. And now, thankfully, we're starting to move that into the adolescent realm. And it's shown to be effective, yep. So, Courtney, let me ask you this. This is, this is not meant to isolate or target kids who we think are at risk, but it's a universal screen, right, for all kids. Exactly. And in fact, if we were to just target kids who we think are at risk, we'd actually be missing out on the real utility of ESPERT. If we can get to a universal population of kids and screen every single one of them, it actually gives us the opportunity to do some positive reinforcement, which experience in other states is showing actually can help to push back that age of first use. It's important to get to kids early before they start using, because as John was saying earlier, Kids who start using before age 15, about 50% of them are likely to develop dependence later in life. So if we can get to those kids before they start, give them that positive reinforcement and push it back even a little bit, that can make a huge difference in the long run. And now I understand one huge problem is how we get to the kids, right? So there's no reimbursement for this tool, right? And and Correct. and And as far as I understand right now, the folks that are using it mostly are doctors and nurses. But to get to a broader population, wouldn't we have to kind of bring it to where the kids are and train a lot of other trainers? In fact, let's ask a trick question. <laughs> Can you make a kid see the doctor? No. Can you make a kid talk to their parents? No. But can you make a kid go to school? 
Yeah. You can make a kid go to school. You have a captive audience. So that seems like a reasonable place to do this. And it is. Uh, so there are already eight different school districts in Massachusetts that are utilizing Espert in a school setting where the school nurse has been trained to do the screening and assessment questions. And then either the school nurse does some positive reinforcement follow-up or the school guidance staff or social worker might work with the kid after if there's a need for a more intensive brief intervention. And of course, Every school that's doing this is equipped to know what the resources are within their community for developmentally appropriate referrals if that's what's needed. So getting to kids in the schools is already being implemented here. It's working. The school nurses like it. And the kids are actually reporting a higher trust for the school nurse than they had. And it's giving them the opportunity to really build that relationship. Now, now in most schools, there's like one school nurse for, you know, a lot of kids. So John... You're an expert in, in, in the research models of, of using screening tools. Can anybody be taught this? I mean, can we have, you know, guidance counselors, teachers, coaches? I mean, why not train lots of different people to do these kinds of screening and not just rely on, the, on, on pediatricians and school nurses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this has been done uh, in, in many other areas of addiction healthcare. Um, where people who are not doctoral-level staff have been shown actually to do as well in performing interventions, for example, as more qualified when they're appropriately trained. So it's not rocket science. You know, this is fairly straightforward uh, stuff that can be implemented, learned and implemented uh, quite easily so we can maximize our reach and impact, absolutely. So it's my understanding there's a legislative push right now to to make this happen. Can, Can we hear a little bit about that? So here in Massachusetts, we're fortunate to have some great advocates in the state house, great leaders on substance use, prevention, treatment, and recovery. Two legislators have filed a bill that would bring screenings to schools statewide using a validated tool. So taking that expert model that's being utilized in eight school districts already and equipping school nurses across the state to be having these conversations. Uh, the bill actually outlines that SBIRT should be utilized in grades 8 or 9 at the school district's discretion and then done again in grade 11. That way you get a comparison of what's happening for the kids through that trajectory. And you also get that opportunity to have the follow-up. Ideally, we would love to see SBIRT happening at multiple points across the community, not just in the schools, but in the primary care setting, in the community health center, maybe the dentist's office. So the kids getting that conversation over and over again. So, so let me just pose one question that some parents might have. Are there any risks or dangers to using SBIRT? I mean, some parents might worry, you know, if you give my kids a screening tool, it might make them want to go out and use. Go out and use. Yeah, you know, so John, is there any evidence that giving a screening tool to a kid is going to promote drug use? No. There's no evidence. Um, I can't even even – just in theory, I can't imagine how that would would happen. Uh, how that asking about it would actually promote you. So screening tools. So so I, I just basically want to know for the parents who are listening to this, if they have to worry about the use of this uh, the use of this tool in any in any way. Mm-hmm. No, uh, and, and again, it's 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 relative risk, right? You have to think about the cost benefit of uh, of detecting something which could have a major impact on the health of your child, including mortality risk, because that's what we've seen, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Gene, uh, is just the huge number of uh, opioid-related overdose deaths that we've had and suffered in the state as well as nationally. 
So when you're weighing it up against these uh, early mortality risks, then uh, yeah, and, and there's no evidence to suggest that it would be a, have a negative effect. Yeah, you know, unless you think that this is something that only occurs in certain socioeconomic realms or certain smaller big towns, it's not what we're finding from the data. It is it's it everywhere, is ubiquitous, right everywhere. Now. When you look at the data um, uh, of disability-adjusted life years lost during this age Wait, disability-adjusted life, what does that yeah. mean? So I'm going to talk, I'm okay. tell you in a minute. <laughs> right. So when you look at um, the kinds of risks that are faced by young people, um, and this is measured in, in, in what they call life years lost or potential life years lost uh, in terms of disability, disease, and premature mortality. When you look, of course, we have these figures across the whole lifespan, but when you look just among 15 to 24-year-olds, 90% of the disability-adjusted life years lost in that age group is to do with alcohol and other drugs. There's no other. So 9 out of 10, 90% of the, of the potential life years lost. In other words, if you're going to get sick or die of something uh, during this period of development between the age of 15 and 24, it's going to be alcohol followed by illicit drug use. So it is probably the most important. It's the most important. In, the most important topic that parents have to think about Absolutely. in terms of the health and uh, longevity, well, well, yeah, exactly. uh, the well-being of their kids. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so for the listeners out there, uh, Courtney and John, what can we all do to get this legislation passed and to get these screening tools as a part of our kind of everyday use? What, what can be done? What, what can the listeners do, Courtney? <laughs> well, through the campaign, through the project, we're really working on reaching out to decision makers, to communities, especially parents, and to providers. And I think that as much as folks can continue to spread that conversation and talk about the fact that substance use among adolescents is a real risk and it's something that we need to talk about, that absolutely will help to that end. It's raising that public awareness and not or pushing it away and letting stigma take hold more directly. You know, the Addiction Free Futures project is still in the beginning phases. We have over two more years to go, and then we're probably going to have a lot more work to do beyond that. So if folks out there are particularly interested in getting engaged with the campaign, we'd be more than happy to have more seats at the table. Who do they call? Anyone interested in getting engaged with the Addiction Free Futures project can call me, Courtney Cello, at 617-587-1513. So I, I just want to thank you all for listening to this. And uh, please, if you have any questions, call Courtney or uh, email us at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds. Email John at the Recovery Institute and get some information, get some help for your kids. And thanks for listening. I'm Gene Barres. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Now, one more thing. If you do find you're doing this in the dentist's office, I don't think the stuff should be in the kid's mouth at the time because they can't really answer. But other than that, it was awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.